this is Tim. I wanted to thank everyone for their support. Remind you that you can help us out by leaving us a rating on iTunes, subscribe to the show, give us some feedback to your family and friends. We also have a click-through link for Amazon. Go to InsideBJJ.com and use the click-through link. Helps us out a lot. Thank you very much, and we hope you enjoy the show. We'd like to present Not Seen Before. I think you want you want everybody to smoke weed. Hey, this is Hoist Gracie, and you're listening to the Inside BJJ Podcast. The weather's room trip. That's racist. I'm not a racist. That's racist. I'm not a racist. This is Kurt Ocean, and this is Inside BJJ Podcast. God damn it! Jiu-Jitsu sucks. Jiu-Jitsu sucks. I think you want you want everybody to smoke weed. Uh, this is so crazy. This is not your answer, and you're listening to the Inside DJJ podcast. Hurrah! Yo, what is up? It's a great, beautiful Sunday morning. like to welcome you to the Inside BJJ Podcast. I'll be your your host. This is Tim. It's the whiny Jew talking about grappling again. Uh, welcome to the program. want to remind you guys that uh, today's show is brought to you by me, motherfuckers. It's brought to you by me, my money, my ideas, my equipment, and my time. So if you don't like it, go fuck yourself. <laughs> I just wanted to get that off my chest. Um, hey, we got a uh, nice little uh, arrangement set up. Um, should be chatting with Gary Tonin in a little bit here. So we're going to make some time for that. Gary has some uh, ideas that he'd like to talk about. He wants to discuss EBI and combat jujitsu. And who else would he want to discuss that with um, than, than, than the Inside BJJ podcast? Um, it's a very very wise call by Gary. No, but I uh, I like talking to Gary. He's he's a um, a very intelligent guy. He comes across like he kind of downplays himself. He's very self deprecating, but uh, he's an educated, smart dude. And I'd like to get his thoughts. And he's doing great, man. The guy is super accomplished, uh, grappler and MMA fighter at this point in his career. So. Looking forward to chatting with him. We'll talk a little jujitsu. Uh, we had Eddie Bravo come out to 10th Planet Stockton for a seminar yesterday. That was pretty awesome. We'll chat about that a little bit. Um, watch some stuff on BJJ Scout. So BJJ Scout, he breaks down all these videos. He does a pretty good job. I think it's Keenan Cornelius and one other dude. That's my particular thing. I, I could be wrong. I don't know. But um, maybe somebody already knows. I might be late to the party on that one. But... um. He's got, he makes a little digest and I was checking out the digest and sometimes the news is old in those digests, but it, it kind of made me laugh because, um, one of the, uh, clips in the video had referenced a podcast episode, um, indirectly where AJ Agazarm and Wagner Rocha got into it at a fight to win. And so I wanted to just, just talk a minute about that. Cause it kind of, <laughs> it kind of made me laugh and I kind of thought, you know, we've, kind of been responsible for AJ getting fucked up a couple times here on the podcast. And so uh, I want to just take a stroll down memory lane a little bit. We'll talk some MMA. We got Dylan Dennis. He's doing his best to get out there. It's <laughs> for some reason that guy's so damn hard to take seriously, though. I feel like 
I don't know, man. I just want to laugh. I feel like he's a funny dude, and I it it, it feels like he's just trolling everybody, and and I just I can't bite on it, you know. Um, Colby Covington had a fucking outstanding performance. Tried to get a, a chat with him. Um, he might call me back. I put a call in. Um, we'll see if he if he if he buzzes me while we're on the show, I'll, I'll jump him right in. But I shot him a text this morning actually, and. Game a little congratulations. Someone would like to chat with him. Uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about uh, some training tips. And uh, if we have some time, I got to get to the Tracy police log. It's fucking brilliant this week. So, uh, yeah, man. So let's let's jump into it. So Eddie, Eddie Bravo, the legend, the master, the 10th planet, uh, Nibiru, the 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 flat earth chemtrail smoke serpent twister lockdown rubber guard fucking ebi cjj inch by inch crazy motherfucker uh came out yesterday to do a podcast and i'm sorry not a podcast a seminar i wish now he's been on the show a bunch of times but he came out for a seminar at 10th planet stockton and obviously i was super pumped to have eddie out like that's that's fucking awesome and in one year at 10th planet stockton we've had boogie come out Richie Boogeyman Martinez, we've had his brother Gio Martinez come out, and now Eddie Bravo. So it's been a, a real nice run for the 10th Planet crew. And it was uh, pretty dope for me yesterday because I was able to get my 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 master, the guy who gave me my black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Sergio Silva. He came out and was on the mats uh, with us, so I had Eddie and Sergio on the same mats and uh sergio is such a humble dude he he never comes in like hey man tim uh, tim got his black belt from me i'm running he's just like it's just like everyone else man just a student i introduced him fucking the seminar was three hours and there was a lot of lecture but it was good it was really good and if you've never been to an eddie bravo seminar it's a little different like you know a lot of seminars you're used to you go to the dude introduces himself talks for 10 or 12 minutes shows you a technique drill 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 another technique drill 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 another technique drill 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 stops everybody fixes a couple things another technique drill 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 another technique drill 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 and then rolling then it pictures you're over and that's good i'm not saying that's not good that's like every seminar I've ever gone to just about some better than others. But Eddie, Eddie felt like I was sitting in a college class. It reminded me of, of, you know, back when I was in college and the professors given a lecture and you got to pay attention and you have to use your brain and you can't just check out and go like, fuck what he's saying. I'm going to get to the doing it part, to the drilling part. I'll learn it then. There's a lot of folks like that, right? So uh, you really had to pay attention. But you know what, what struck me was the ability he had to tie everything back together. Because sometimes it's like, whoa, he's going off on a trail. But he always was able to circle back. And what struck me... You know, I think students are like, oh, Eddie's coming. They expect him to like fly down in a flying saucer that's shaped like a bong and is fueled by fucking uh, chemtrails and, you know, vapor from a from a giant fucking weed pen or something, you know. But no, he showed up in an Uber and he had a, he had a tidy little luggage and backpack 
He was the first motherfucker at the academy yesterday. You know, I, I generally like the new students, like the super new, uh, all about jujitsu students. They show up hella early, right? Like forty five minutes early for the seminar. They're like they're gonna get their spot, and I told people you better come early because it's gonna get packed. You know, in our parking lot, we share it with a church next door to us, and then there's like a, an herbal life like smoothie shop. Uh, on, on on the other side of us, so we're sandwiched between you know two cults. Basically, there's three cults in a row right there. You got the Herbal Life Pyramid Cult. Sorry, Herbal Life, love you guys. You got the Herbal Life Cult, and then next door you got the Jujitsu Cult. And I'm running, I'm running a major scam. I got two cults going. I got a Tenth Planet Stockton Cult, and then for the people that don't like that flavor. Right, I'm like one of those churches where you come in, you get to pick. Like you go to the left, and it's a traditional service. We're gonna sing from the hymn book. People are gonna wear nice clothes, sports jackets, suits and ties. The pastor's gonna give a message. There's not gonna be any dancing or praying or shouting or speaking in tongues. None of that. It's gonna be just some nice Bible doctrine, very, very, very Lutheran or Methodist or something. I'm sorry, guys. You know, whatever, some shit like that. And then if you go to the right, it's in evangelical time. It's the evangelical hour. We got a cafe. We got kid zone. We have splash time during service where the uh, pastor Mike comes out and throws water balloons at everybody. You know, uh, we got today's beach theme. Wear your beach shirt and your board shorts. It's like girls come in bikinis. It's worship bikini time. It's like kind of like that. That's what I'm running. I got... No gi, 10th planet jiu-jitsu, yeah, man. And then for the traditionalists, it's like, oh, we wear the gi, you get stripes and belts. And then on the left of my cult, there's a, a church cult, like super big, curtains, it's all blacked out. I don't know. I'm just talking shit, of course. I'm sure they're really nice people. But these three cults, we fucking fill the whole goddamn parking lot up. So there's nowhere to park. So Eddie, you know, I told him, get there early, told the people, get there early. Eddie shows up before anybody Comes in, super nice, gets situated, sits down in the corner, a total nondescript, like off in the corner. And each student that comes in, he greets them, starts talking to them, and then they eventually sit down. And one by one, by the time everybody's come in, there's a big circle around where Eddie's sitting in the corner. Because each student comes in, he says, hi, what's up? He starts talking, and he's just one of those dudes, right? He's got a magnetic personality. He likes to talk about all kinds of things. Everybody wants to ask him questions. They want to know what he thinks. They're, I mean, they're they're dying for him to talk about conspiracy. They're fucking chomping it the bits. They don't want to be super fanboys and bring it up, but goddamn, they want to hear what he thinks about Flat Earth, Chemtrails, Moon Landings, Alex Jones, and Joe Rogan. All that shit, man. So he showed up an hour early, greeted all the students, did a fantastic job, man. I love Eddie. I love being around Eddie. Um, I think he's a genuine dude. He's an honest dude. He's always been a straight shooter with me and um, just very, very open about things. And, I, and I've always appreciated that about him. He talked a lot 
in class about student responsibility, like using your memory, writing things down, having a system for learning. Like when you watch a move, are you just like watching it over and over and over? You got to watch it 300 times and you're just trying to like absorb it through osmosis or do you have like a structure like what what are the what's the left hand doing what's the right hand doing what's the left leg doing what's the right leg doing where's the head at where's the body at he kind of broke that shit down and talked about how important it was as a student to be able to use your five senses and facilities your intellect your voice your ears your eyes the way you feel the way you think hey use your brain everybody to learn jujitsu Instead of going like, I want the instructor to chew my, I want, I want the instructor to cook the food, cut it up, put it in his mouth, chew it up for me, and then take the chewed up food and then put it in my mouth. So I don't have to do anything. I just, I just get it pre, pre-chewed, not quite digested, but I've started the enzyme breakdown process with my, you know, it's like, come on, man. Kimmy, I know jujitsu is mysterious and I know it's hard and I know it's tricky and I know it takes a lot of courage and you feel like you're getting your ass kicked 24 seven, but come on. So we had, we had a really awesome time, man. Uh, really, really happy to do that. Hallmark day for the Academy. Things are going great, man. Like the, the Academy is going great. Life is good. Um, very, very, very happy with things right now. And, and I've done a lot, a lot of podcasts where I was stressed out man like really grinding life was kicking my ass uh and it feels good to to get a little leverage on it for now you know i got side control right now i have top side control i'm trying to get twister side on life but i got top side right now but fucking man life is already building frames they're trying to bring their hip in they're trying to get their knee to their elbow it's gonna block me out soon i'll be on bottom in a minute it's just fucking how it goes uh so yeah so i was checking out bjj scout and they have this bjj digest uh on youtube and they're, I don't know, partway through the video, there was this, there was this, there was this recap back to, uh, AJ Agazarm and Wagner Hocha at fight to win and AJ showboating and dancing, doing his thing. And Wagner kicks AJ off of the stage. And it was one of those moments where, you know, it was like, holy shit, what what the hell just happened? Like, Wagner really is crazy. Like, he's a crazy dude. He just kicked this guy off the stage. Uh, but what people didn't know was on episode, I think it was 247, Wagner and AJ call into the program and they get into it. I mean, you know what? A lot of people don't get why and don't know why exactly why I feel this way about AJ and I. I'll break it down. And I used to have, you know, mixed feelings about him because I always thought he was kind of weird. You know, I've known AJ since we were purple belts, and we competed once as purple belts against each other. I was a purple belt, and he was a purple belt, and he beat me. First time I ever rolled with him. That's the real reason why he hates his guts. Beat me in the, in the tournament. He took me down and held me, and, and uh, you know, I, again, then I didn't have any feelings against him for it. You know, I I I took it as a, a sign to become better. You know, to to learn learn new things and, and explore. So at that time, you know, I had nothing against him, and then we competed again at Anaga years later, 
And then I, I beat him twice. I beat him in a gi match, and I beat him in a no-gi match. And then two years later after that, we fought again. And he, you know, I, he stayed at uh, at that belt, and I was moving on up. You know, I got I got my next belt and my next belt. And the next time we competed, I think he was a brown and I was a black. And I um, fought him again for uh, two absolutes. It was the one with the referee. And it was in Tampa. It was in his hometown. And Tampa is, has a really good theme park called Bush Gardens. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Sure. But it's an amazing, amazing theme park. It has like a bunch of roller coasters. And I brought my mom, my daughter, my son, and my wife with me to go to, to Tampa for this tournament. And my plan was to go win that money because it was $2,000 to go win that money and then go to the theme park with the kids. Whether I won or not, my plan was to go to the theme park. You yeah, know? yeah. You so, weren't, weren't going to be like, sorry, kids, no theme park today. <laughs> yeah, I know. My plan was to go either way, you know. So I brought them, and um, as we're walking into the tournament, AJ was working the, the tournament because I think he was trying to work it to also compete and, and make some money. And uh, I said, hey, I said, hey, what's up, AJ? And uh, he flinched at me like as if he wanted to fight me. <laughs> and I could not, you know, it, it totally, like, pissed me off. Yeah, so that was kind of the genesis of it, right? That was kind of like the the big thing that pissed him off, right? Let's see if we could jump down a little farther when we get AJ in. AJ, hey. Hey. Well, yep. Hey, uh, this is Tim inside BJJ. Uh, we have Wagner uh, Rota on the other line. I'm going to put you guys together, okay? All right. You didn't fall asleep yet, did you? <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, uh, we got AJ and Wagner Rocha on the line here. There's a big match coming up, October 1st, Fight to Win Pro. Uh, AJ, what is your prediction for the fight? Can you hear me? Yeah, we got you, man. What's my prediction for the fight? Hmm. Well, I, I'm, I'm training very hard for this. But I'm, I'm drilling one thing and one thing only. Um, I'm, I'm doing my usual drills, but I know what will work. I've analyzed him carefully. I've beaten him before. But he's not the same guy he was when I beat him, and neither am I. But I'm drilling one thing, and the thing I'm drilling has never been done before. It looks like, it looks like something he will recognize, and it becomes something he's never seen. His mind's going to start to turn. Um... But it's gonna it's gonna put him out. What would you say to that, Wagner? Um, as I said before, I think the guy's a little bipolar, and I think his 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 mindset is not always all there. So whatever it is he thinks he's drilling that I've never seen before is uh, is ridiculous because Jujitsu has been been around for such a long time. There's nothing new in this game. Um. But I, li- I like to see it, AJ. I'll, I'll be waiting for you on stage. Yeah, you will be waiting for him with a fucking foot. <laughs> that was a great episode. If you guys have a chance to check that out, it's episode 247. What's funny is that before that, we had AJ on episode 222 with Jake Shields, and they had a fight coming up at Polaris, and they were talking shit. And they got so stirred up on the show that Jake ended up stalking and slapping AJ in the face when they met up. 
in the event. So I feel like this podcast alone has been responsible for AJ getting getting slapped in the face and getting kicked off the stage two two separate times. But I really do like AJ. I bumped into him at a at a jujitsu tournament um, about a month and a half or so ago, maybe two months ago. We chatted for a bit. He's he's doing good, man. He's out here quite a bit in this area. Uh, I think he likes to hang out with the Diaz brothers, but he's a uh, interesting dude, man. Check those episodes out. You got to have a premium subscription to get those, though. You got to go to insidebjj.com slash premium. It's a buck ninety nine a month. Okay, quit bitching about it. A dollar ninety nine. Right, you can afford that. I don't want to hear it. What else is going on? Oh, I saw something on BJJ News. Uh, Chad the Beast Hardy, he makes some videos out there. Check them out on YouTube. And it was about bad coaching tips from parents. And and I ha- dude, I got to chime in because I've been teaching kids jujitsu for so many years, like a decade now. Tons and tons of kids tournaments. And and I got I got four things that uh, two are advice. The third um, is a potential performance-enhancing uh, drug issue uh, between a dad and a kid. And then the fourth is is just uh, the aftermath of a kid losing and what the dad did. So w- one of the funniest pieces of advice that you that I've heard repeatedly, and it always comes from a super hillbilly dude or a super ghetto dude. And this is the advice. Fuck him up. That's the advice. Everyone's coaching. Coach is coaching. I'm coaching. Come on. You got it. You can do it. All right. Post your hand here. Protect your collar. Good. Trap his hand. Stand up. Fuck him up. What? Uh, Build your frame. Shrimp. Get out of there and fuck him up. It's like every time, man. That was, uh, I heard that at kids' pants like 35 times. Uh, the other one that I thought was really funny was a mom who was upset that her, you know, because sometimes with kids at tournaments, they will uh, move their, move them around because there's not enough kids. And sometimes you end up with, you know, like the biggest kid or the chunkiest kid, let's say, going up against someone maybe not in his age, his weight bracket. Maybe he's a little bigger. And so there was this kid. He was competing. Nobody was in his bracket. And he ended up having to go with, you know, Big Boy Haas, that kind of deal. And Big Boy Haas essentially took, took little dude down and just laid on him. Just laid on him. And the mom was trying to trying to encourage her son and the kid couldn't get out. He couldn't recover guard. He couldn't recover guard. He couldn't get out. Couldn't get out. Couldn't get out. Kept trying, kept trying. And the mom's just encouraging him. He's tired. He's tired. You can do it. You're almost out. He's tired. And then she goes, he's tired and fat. Damn. That was messed up. That wasn't right. That was uncalled for. Big boy Haas knows he's big boy Haas. Uh, those are the two funny, uh, coaching advice things. The other thing that was, that, that was funny, but also like, God damn dude, is I, I saw a dad make his son chug a Red Bull before a match. Yeah, man. He popped it out. He kind of like stood sideways, kind of like, uh, what it reminded me, there was this bum named Amos that, uh, would, would hang out on Harding way 
in airport in Stockton. And if you don't know where that is, then fuck, you need to find it. Google it. Just look it up on Google Streets or Google Maps. If you want to, if you want to find out where I'm talking about, go to Google Maps and put Harding Way and airport, or it might be Harding and West because West Lane and airport, it changes to the North. It's, it's West and to the South. It's airport. So if you put it in Google Maps, if you go like Airport Way and Harding, Stockton, all right, you put it into Google Maps, it's going to take you to the corner. And then I want you to click on, you know, the fucking panoramic view thing you could do with Google. And I want you to scan. There's an auto place and there's like a weird shop. And then there's like this place, like a liquor store, liquor and grocery. That store right there, we would... We would walk across to that store. My cousin Matt lived a few blocks away. We'd, we'd leave his house like at midnight. We'd walk over to the store. Matt's mom worked graveyard, so she was at work, and his stepdad just didn't want to be bothered. As long as we left him alone and he didn't catch us, he wasn't going to look. He wasn't going to come looking for us, all right? But we, we still couldn't be blatant. If he saw something, he was going to report it. But he wasn't going to look. It was kind of like a don't ask, don't tell. So we would walk across to that little liquor store. It was called Redwood Market at the time. We'd walk over there. There's a bum there named Amos. And he would he would buy us liquor, right? And then we would walk across the street over to that weird yellowish green building on the corner. It's called Secrets now. It used to be called the Bachelor Bookstore. It was like the most filthy, seedy, disgusting, pornographic, like just gross, just bad shit like the stuff you would you you would want your best friend you'd have an oath that said look man if i die you got to come to my house and get this filth out of my house before like you know the ambulance comes or my family comes it's like just vile we would walk across the street there's an alley which is even double vile like an alley behind the most vile dirty bookstore you can imagine can you just Put in your head what takes place in that alley behind the fucking bad bookstore, right? We would walk across into that alley, and then Amos would come across the street and meet us, and he would give us the beer, right? So we'd give him the money, he'd walk over, get the beer, then bring it back, we'd give him a little tip or whatever. Well, you know, like that weird sideways stand, like you don't want people to actually see what you're exchanging and what you're doing. That's the way this dad was making his son drink the Red Bull. He's kind of like covering it up with his jacket a little bit and the kid's chugging it. Oh, I don't like the way it tastes. Dad, drink it. Right. Kid lost. Another guy uh, really put a lot of pressure on his kid. As soon as his kid lost, he got on the phone, called the wife, kid's mom. And goes, uh, yeah, he lost big time. And the kid's all, I got second. And he's all, you lost. Just made the kid cry, dude. Just just ripped him in front of mom. So, yeah, that was uh, that was real nice. That, those, so those, those are my bad coaching stories in general. Not so much tips as they are. Bad coaching stories. It's crazy. MMA, what's going on? Dylan Dennis wants to have a loser leaves MMA match against Colby Covington. Uh, I think it's a bad idea for you, Dylan Dennis. I think that's a really bad idea. I think Colby Covington uh, is going to wreck you if you fight him right now. He, he, His timing is good. He's on point, man. As much as people, you know, they want to hate him, he's fucking good, man. He put a beat down on Robbie Lawler. He shut him down. 
Um, his pressure is it's exciting to watch. He puts a pace on you. I don't care what you think about his politics. I don't care what you think about him as a person. This fucking guy is undeniably good. He keeps getting bounced around by the UFC. He deserves a title shot. Colby is going to be the champ. So get the fuck over it. Uh, Dylan, uh, good try. I know what you're doing, but it's not going to work. You're not going to get a match with Colby. You got to earn your way up to that, bud. Uh, what else? Uh, Colby made this Matt Hughes comment. I wanted to play because everyone's like, oh, we condemn. It's only because he's a Trump supporter. Everyone's condemning it. Let's let's listen. It was basically a reference to Matt Hughes's train accident. You threw nearly 600 strikes tonight. You attempted 18 takedowns, took him down 10 times. How did this fight play out relative to your expectations coming in here tonight? Hey, let's talk about the lesson we learned tonight. It's a strong lesson that Robbie should have learned from his good buddy, Matt Hughes. You stay off the tracks when the train's coming through, Junior. Don't matter if it's a Trump train or the Kobe train. Get out the way! On the strength of a performance... Everyone's all boo. They're all yeah. Ooh, oh, wow. What? Uh, poor taste, I think, probably. But look, man, this is the fight business. All right. And Matt Hughes isn't exactly known for being the nicest guy in the world. In fact, it kind of sounds like something Matt Hughes would say, to be totally honest with you, right? It sounds like something that would come out of his mouth. So while it's kind of like, man, you know, it puts him on that level, though. This is the kind of trash talk you got to do. This is Conor McGregor style trash talk. And when you're winning and you're talking trash, it's fuck. It's a it's a magic formula. If you could talk trash and win, you can be rich, kids. And that, that's all Colby's doing. He's following the recipe. All the greats have done it. Not even greats. All the guys that have cashed in and hit their moment. They this is this is the plan, man. This is this is the way they do it. Yeah, there's GSPs who are honorable martial artists. There's not that many though, man. This is what people want. This is how he's going to get paid. And so far, it's working. Yeah, it's kind of a trash comment. Matt Hughes is beloved by people, but go read his autobiography. It sounds like something Matt Hughes would have said, man. I'm, I'm not saying Matt deserved it, but fuck, dude. The guy just won a giant fight. He fights in a cage. He beats up other men, like other men who are training to beat him up. He's not just picking bums off the street. He's beating motherfuckers up that are training for him. They're watching video. There's a team of people who are plotting, practicing, training, watching videos, making sure they get their rest, they get their reps, they get their nutrition just to beat this one guy. And he makes some comment. And now the internet's broken over it. I just want to come out and condemn what Colby Colvington said. Everyone's got to jump on the goddamn condemnation bandwagon. Nobody fucking cares. Okay? Nobody cares. Nobody's going to care. You remember that bad comment somebody made six months ago about someone else? No, you don't. You don't remember it. I would, I would be willing to bet you don't even fucking remember what you've condemned. You don't know. Well, I, I, I come out against this and against that. I I want to separate and denounce. Get the fuck out of here. Come on. The problem now is everyone's a fucking politician. Not just the politicians. The people are politicians. They're politicking on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I support this. I don't support that. I'm behind this. I'm not behind that. Pray for this. Don't pray for that. It's like, fuck off, man. 
tired of that shit. Just be a regular human. Uh, here's what Dana White, and I think he would agree with me. This is a comment. Cyborg's really pissed, and she's playing the bully tag. Dana's not nice to her. She demanded an apology from him, an apology from Joe Rogan. Uh, you know what? I feel like this is a game. I feel like this is a ploy. I feel like this is coming from a fighter who uh, needs a contract. It wants to get paid and maybe is concerned that there's not many opportunity out there. So she's trying to create some fire out of some smoke. She's just blowing on it, hoping those embers catch. And she basically, you know, pissed off at Dana, said he's a bully, blah, blah, blah. And this is what Dana sat down, uh, you know, with the UFC um, uh, lady that I'm sorry, I can't remember her name. I'll have to, I'll have to pull it up. Uh, on YouTube here, but there's, there's basically, um, the UFC has their own YouTube channel, obviously. And, uh, Dana was interviewed by, um, uh, let's see what the girl's name is. Apologize. Doesn't even say her name. Oh, Laura Sanko sat down, did a one-on-one. Yeah. Laura Sanko. So here's, she, she basically asked about the cyborg issue and this is what Dana had to say media scrum after a fight again this is in 2014 and i was asked about ronda's comments about what ronda had said about cyborg you know the 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 media was asking me if i thought it was insensitive um and, and Rhonda had basically said she would fight. She would fight cyborg even if she if cyborg was ingesting uh, injecting horse semen into her eyeballs which is I've never heard of that, but if I could get a better guard sweep, I would do it. And, and wanted me to, uh, you know, comment on it. And I said, listen, this is the fight business. You know, mean things are said. Ronda and, and, and Cyborg had been going back and forth saying a lot of things about each other. And the fact of the matter was that Cyborg did cheat mm-hmm. and she did take steroids. She took the same performance enhancing drug that Ben Johnson won the Olympics with. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that's how Dana White feels about it. Uh, he basically is is telling Cyborg to get over herself. You know what I mean? Like, come on. It's a very dangerous steroid that she was on. Dana's and, like, and I'm on it myself right now. And you're talking about a, a time when we were trying to clean up the sport. Then the comment, you know, they, they were asking me about Cyborg, and I said to the media, guys, did you see her at the MMA awards? Did you not think she was on steroids? You know, she got up to get her award and she walks up the stairs and I was saying that she looked like Vanderlei Silva in a dress. What I meant was she had the same. She did. Fuck off. If you look like Vanderlei Silva in a dress, someone's going to say it. Get over it. Get over it. You. She probably looks at her own photos and realizes that. Come on. Kimmy. Get over it. The other thing that kind of made me chuckle was these commercials that came on before these videos. It's a Brian Ortega beer commercial, which I'm. I wonder how the great. I wonder how how that fits into the Gracie diet. What section is the beer under? Is that letter A, letter B, letter C? We make special exception for once a year. You can have Miller's Banquet Beer or Coors Banquet Beer or High Life. High Life. Malt liquor, Old English, Horian's Hawken, Old English, Gracie diet approved. Now, uh, Matt, uh, Brian Ortega, this commercial goes like 10 years ago. He was fighting for his life on the streets. He decided, you know, instead of fighting for his life on the streets, he decided to fight in the cage. I don't know if Brian Ortega was fighting for his life on the streets, though. 
Like, I'm not even trying to talk shit. I don't know. I've never even heard that about him. I thought he was just a dude who trained with the Gracies for a long time since he was young, kind of came up in that system, turned out to be a really great fighter. It could be that they're trying to build him up. And I love Ortega as a fighter, man. He's hella good. He's super fun to watch. But I don't know if he's fighting for his life on the streets. Kimmy. So, anyway, hey, uh, it's going great. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back with a little more Inside BJJ. If you enjoyed today's show, please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. Subscribe and tell your friends. Welcome back to the Inside BJJ podcast. We should be joined shortly here with Gary Tonin. Talk a little bit about EBI. He wants to make EBI great again. Talk about talk about that. Um, <clears throat> I uh, had some training tips for you. I was thinking about some odds and ends here, and I was thinking about you know the types of things you need to do to be successful in jujitsu, like the, the types of things you need to do. And the type of student you need to be. And I think coming from an instructor's perspective, man, you really love students that pay the fuck attention. It's crazy how much you value like when people are really watching and paying attention and asking real questions, not just like raising their hand to add crazy shit to the conversation for no reason. It's no different than when you're in high school or, or, or college. There was the same same situation. Jiu-jitsu is especially unique, though, because there's, you know, there's this uh, situation where you can watch but kind of check out mentally and just look around and kind of get the broad strokes and then go, ah, we'll figure the details out when we partner up. And then I'll ask Professor to come over and help me one-on-one. And sometimes you have to do that, and I've been guilty of being that guy, but damn, it's nice um, when you pay attention. So be a good partner. That's my tip. Pay attention. Learning jujitsu is just like saving your life in the uh, in, in in the situation where the the airplane has to make an emergency landing, and they say, "Look, put the oxygen mask on yourself first, and then help others around you." That's what you need to do in jujitsu. You need to get it for yourself, lock it down, then help those around you. Just your partner, really. You don't need to help. Your other partner that you're not drilling with, let the instructor run the class. That's another thing. It's like, come on, yo. The side teaching. It's hard to run a class when there's like the professor and then a self-appointed assistant professor. (laughs) It's always good to have advanced guys help out. For sure. That's always appreciated. But man, there's always like uh, someone who's trying to like pull some side, side teaching gig. Hey, I'll show you some stuff over here. I'll show you some stuff uh, when we're drilling. I'll show you some extras. Um, Get the basics first. Then then figure out the extras for sure. Uh, What else? Okay, two things I want you to do this week. One, I want you to pick a technique. One technique. One technique. No variations. Just one technique. One thing. No variations. One technique. Drill it for seven minutes every day if you can't train every day then the days that you don't train on add those days to the days you do train on so if you only train monday wednesday friday 
then drill it, you know, 21 minutes or 14. Hey, there's Gary. Let's talk to him. Gary Tonin. Hey, what's going on, man? Not much. Finished coaching for the day. Awesome, dude. How'd your guys do? Oh, okay. You know, mixed results. It's kind of like, uh, what's it called? Uh, mostly just like blue belt and below. We're competing today. So, yeah. you know, some guys won, some guys lost. Isn't that like how it's always it, a kind of a mixed bag? <laughs> always. Right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I always felt like when I would like take a crop of dudes out and they do really good, like, Oh, we won nine matches and no losses. Then like the next tournament, we would win like two matches and lose seven. Sure. It was like never the yeah. same, you know, <laughs> You're all, especially in a situation where skill is not as much of a factor. Like, uh, so you're dealing with like blue belt and below, like comparative, like let's say you have two years experience comparative to like 10 years experience. Right. So skill is not as much, not nearly as much of a factor as luck or circumstance or probability at that point. Right. So yeah, yeah absolutely. You're always going to have regression to the mean there. Like yeah. guys are going to do really well. Then they're going to do really poorly. Cause like, you know, half the time, if a dude gets a triangle, it's like fucking random chance that the guy <laughs> fell in the right position for it, you know? All the time, right? You get a guard yeah, if pass. You blindfolded, <laughs> yeah, it's awful. If you blindfolded them both, they'd probably compete just the same. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Hey, let's jump into it. Uh, we're joined with Gary Tonin on the Inside BJJ podcast. Gary, man, five-time EBI champ, three-time Metamorris, three times fight to win pro that's on top of, you know, you've done all kinds of other shit, ADCC, you're five and oh, and MMA now. Uh, it's great to have mm-hmm. you back on the show. Um, you've, you've made a, you've, you've got a lot of shit going on since the last time we talked, man. Yeah, man. Picking up steam, trying to do as much as I can. Only got a short time on this earth. Just try to get get as much done as I can. Your, so, your, uh, your MMA career is just—it's beautiful. I love watching thanks, your buddy. fights, and, and and it seems like you're making real progress every fight. Your last fight, you looked extremely comfortable. You know what's mm-hmm. next? What's next for you on that front? I know that's your main focus, but what, what's next for you in the MMA world? Yeah, we're working on the next. We're working on the next fight. Um, it's just taking it one one fight at a time. Um, I, uh, I agree with you. You know, I think every fight I'm, I'm making leaps and bounds, a lot of progress very quickly. Um, you know, the way that John does things in terms of, uh, uh, preparation for MMA, I think is like very similar to the way that he revolutionized, uh, you know, jujitsu and kind of like the way that he teaches us and the systems that we use is he tries to take a very similar approach to mixed martial arts. And, uh, I think that, uh, it got me to a, to the point that I am much faster than I would have if I was just kind of like hitting pads with somebody, you know? <laughs> and that's another way that I think most people take this is they just kind of, they kind of hit pads for <laughs> for a few weeks sure. and then they spar once or twice a week and then they get in there and just try to like, Oh, right, we're going to put it all together, you know? So uh, I'm pretty happy with the way that uh, things are structured and got a decent crop of uh, training partners that are, you know, good to work with. So that helps too. That's another tough part of the game. And uh, man, it's uh I just, I feel like nothing can stop this progress, man. It's just one, one day at a time. I just think we're getting better and better. How much, how much work do you get in now on, on your grappling game? Uh, I'm still grappling, um, like pretty much seven days a week, two times a day. Um, occasionally like I'll have to miss a practice or something cause we're doing something MMA related or whatever. But for the most part, uh, I, I'm keeping my grappling, uh, just about, um, the same as, uh, I normally did. So that's the kind of the funny part is like when I started doing MMA, 
it's not like I took grappling was like, okay, we're done with that. Yeah. Now we're going to go and just do MMA stuff. And like my schedule was the same. Well, what happened was I just took the schedule that I had before for jujitsu and just put the MMA on top of it. Wow. <laughs> so really it's like, I'm just, I'm just training like almost twice as much as I was before. Uh, cause now I have to stay after jujitsu practice and get my sparring rounds in. Um, and then I'm doing drills at my school and trying to, you know, trying to teach it a little bit too. So I get a better understanding of what I'm doing. Um, so that's kind of fun. Um, how much does that help to turn around and, in and, and teach it? I think it helps a lot in your, in your understanding. You know, I always make this distinction. I think John's taught this to us before that, um, knowledge isn't so much about, you, you know, your performance. Like you could understand a lot about something and then not be able to perform at all. Right. Like, uh, I could read like a, a shit ton of like physics textbooks, but I'm not necessarily going to be able to, I don't know, trying to think, you know, put Launch go, go to the, you yeah. know, large, large hydrant, hydrant, uh, sorry, hydrogen collider. collider and fucking yeah. start fucking blowing apart particles. You know, like I, you know, yeah. I could understand a lot, but not necessarily practically be able to do anything. So, um, I think it helps a lot with the teaching and just understanding and being able to pass down what I've learned. Right. Like that's what, that seems so critical to me. And that's like a big pursuit of mine is to always have that transferability of knowledge because Otherwise, I feel like everything that I am going to do in my career is going to be lost the moment I stop. Yeah. And I just, I really don't want that to be, I really don't want that to be the case. I think it does. I think, you know, I think people misunderstand when I say that, like knowledge doesn't help you win or whatever, but like, of course it does help me figure out things. It helps me in my drilling. Like it helps me be a little bit more uh, creative in an educated way, as opposed to just doing random shit. Right. So it does ev- eventually impact performance. But the big thing for me is just that like when I'm done with this one day, I want to be able to take all this, everything that I did and like how to help somebody. Like if it doesn't, it just dies with me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's kind of like, I don't know, man, there's something about, I like to live my life. Like regardless of whether or not, I believe that this is the case, but I like to live my life. Like this is all I got. Like, yeah. uh, when it's the end, it's the end, I'm dust. And then there's nothing more. Right. So sure. to me to live like that, it gives me a strong incentive to get things done and to be able to, um, impact somebody else and to hopefully impact large numbers of people so that even when I am dust, you know, somebody else gets to feed off of whatever it was that I did as opposed to just kind of disappearing and, Oh yeah. You talk about, talk about me for a few years about my accomplishments and stuff. And then I'm gone. Like at the very least, even if uh, nobody ever utters the words Gary Conan again, and I'm not like <laughs> quote unquote in the history books, you know, when I'm dead or whatever, I, at the very least, hopefully somebody will be able to benefit from some, you know, some pattern of, you know, technique that I developed or, you know, something that I taught somebody and that'll get passed down to the next guy. Like, that's just kind of like where I'm, you know, what I'm hoping for and yeah. to be able to touch as many people's lives with that kind of thing as I possibly can. And that will make, to me, that's very fulfilling. You know, we're always, I think everybody's kind of looking for their purpose in life. And, uh, if I can impact somebody else, I think that that'll, I feel that that's going to, uh, that gives me a great sense of purpose, you know? Yeah. And I, and I, I do understand what you're saying. Cause I think there, there's a lot of things in life that are like this, but particularly like martial arts and, and, and fighting is, 
if you don't kind of have that larger sense of like, why am I even doing this? It, it's almost absurd. Like I'm, I'm training yeah. to get in a cage and, and fight other men <laughs> you, you yeah. know, for a, for a title from a company yeah. that a guy's running, you know, it seems exactly. like, what the fuck am I doing? You know, but when you can kind of yeah. abstract it out to another layer, it's, it's uh, sure. a, a lot more motivating and, and more fulfilling. And, and it doesn't seem as yeah. absurd. You know, it seems like a good, yeah. good thing. Yeah, absolutely. I, There's a lot of reasons why somebody can go and get in there. But uh, I think over time, many of them aren't going to hold up. Right. Sure. And the way I look at it is this, the reason that I have, like, I think is, uh, is, is going to be able to stand the test of time, no matter what, like, I'm always going to care about that um, in my eyes. Um, so I don't think that's changing anytime soon. Whereas some people might try to get into it for fame or money or, and all those things are nice. Don't get me wrong. I own a, I own an apparel company called cash chicks championships for a reason. Uh, I think, I think all that stuff's awesome to deny that would be silly. Don't get me wrong. But again, those are like, those are like kind of the things that we, you know, uh, that are impermanent in a way or uh, that that are eventually going to leave. Um, that's like stuff that uh, I'm going to enjoy you know, while I'm here, but again, it's not something that's going to get transferred, um, you know, elsewhere. So, um, it's, uh, it's definitely fun, but I'm gonna, I think that as long as I have that deeper sense of purpose, it'll, it'll keep me going until, you know, I decide that it's my, my time's up and I'm not going to get all this other BS that you have to deal with, whether it's, you know, contracts or this, that, and the other thing or injuries and everything. Like, I think I'll be able to stay the course have something beyond yeah just getting in the cage and in and fighting w- one of the sure. reasons why you know we wanted to talk today was you had you had made this post on Instagram about making grappling great again and in bringing EBI back and I wanted to get sure. your your thoughts on that because I I've always kind of felt and just as a fan of grappling that EBI was at a special time and was a special thing. And it was really, yeah. really fun to watch just, just a pure, yeah. you know, I love to grapple, but as a spectator, it was a lot of fun to watch. Yep. And then combat jujitsu is like a splinter. And then as I go, EBI has this feeling like it went away, you know, yeah. can you, can you talk about like, what, what are you meaning when you say you want to, you want to bring it back? You want to make it great again? Yeah. So, um, there, there's, uh, there's quite a few elements. So like, I agree with a lot of what you're saying and the feedback that I got from the post, like that was one of the, one of the most successful posts in terms of like likes and attention and comments and things like that, that I've made in a long time, which to me sends the message that like, yeah, a lot of other people feel a similar way. Um, and a lot of other people are, are kind of feeling like that was a special moment in time and it's been something that they would want to have back. It's just kind of getting back to the old days of, uh, of EBI. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's quite clear that it, impacted the, the sport, uh, in a really positive way. I mean, cause some people could argue that, but I definitely think, um, you know, it was a springboard for a lot of other professional organizations to kind of have the balls to start doing jujitsu promotions and things like that, because they saw how successful it was and how much attention it was getting. Um, many people adopted the rule set because it was very successful. Um, you know, when people start copying you that you had something good, sure, right? So, um, I definitely think that, um, it's, it's desirable for us to get back there. Now, as far as where we kind of strayed the course, cause I guess some people could say, well, like, well, what do you mean? EBI is not gone, but I think everybody knew exactly what I was talking about. Right. Cause it's not like anybody ever made an official post saying like EBI is dead, but we all know it is <laughs> like we, we all recognize that everybody in the comments is like, yeah, yeah. We want to bring it back. 
Um, and it's kind of odd for something, some, something that nobody ever said, like, Hey, no, we're, we're, we're stopping. We're not doing this anymore for everybody to recognize that it isn't what it was. Right. And the reason that that's the case. So combat jujitsu became a thing that they were doing, uh, like in between, uh, EBIs, right. Like it was just like a little sideshow. And now I guess they were trying to make it like the main show. But you have somebody raised a really interesting point. This wasn't my original thought, but it, it definitely, I agree with the thought. I don't remember who it was, but they said that like, we're already in a very niche sport, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, mixed martial arts. There's already pretty niche things. Like it's not, uh, martial arts, mixed martial arts is getting on a bigger stage. Don't get me wrong. But even still, I still look at it as a much smaller sport. Same thing with, uh, and jiu-jitsu, definitely a smaller sport. And now you're going to take something like combat jujitsu, which no one practices, right? Like that's a sport <laughs> nobody does, right? The one thing that MMA and jujitsu do have going for them is that the, the people that do the sports are diehard spectators, right. right? They love to watch it, right? So now you're, t- you're taking something that nobody actually does. Nobody does combat jujitsu at their gym, Right. And if there is somebody doing it, it's like one gym. I don't know. You know, I'm sure there's some gyms where people are slapping each other like retards. I don't know. I don't know. But <laughs> it's definitely not ma- like a mainstream thing in any, it's in any a, way. It's not a class. So just, <laughs> you don't have 35 yeah. year old soccer moms going to combat jujitsu. Exactly, man. So you got, so you got this, these two niches that, you know, we're, we're following, you know, to some degree EBI. And, uh, then you tried to create an even smaller niche. And it's just not happening, man. I'm not saying that I'm not saying it, it, it doesn't have a place and that like, it can't be entertaining. Like I watched a few of the matches and I was entertained. Don't get me wrong. It's just not what EBI was. Like, I don't see why we, why we let that destroy EBI. In addition to that, they just dropped the frequency of them. Like they were doing an EBI, like almost quarterly or like, at least like I would say every, like every four months. And it was a consistent thing. That's how you build up steam. Uh, Chael Sonnen talked about this a little bit recently on his podcast, not about EBI, but about like how he always tries to stay very consistent. Like he does his podcast on, you know, Wednesdays and Fridays. And he tries to absolutely never break from that because that's what people are expecting. Yeah. Right. People are expecting that, that next show, that next show. And when they don't have it, they go elsewhere, right. With their attention. Right. And, uh, I say this to the guys that work at my gym all the time too. Listen, if you're going to, some guys will want to open like a morning class. I'm like, listen, you're going to do this class. It's going to be there and it's going to be consistent. Like, I don't care how many people are showing up. If you're doing a 6am class, you better be there. Right. I'm not going to have people emailing me like, Hey, you know, so-and-so didn't show up to teach. You know what I mean? It's gotta be consistent if you really want to build a following. Right. Um, and they just dropped the consistency and completely changed the model to combat jujitsu. And it's like, where is EBI? And it was this amazing thing. And it just got, it just died like almost overnight. Do you think that um, they are, stopped doing it? Do you think there are grapplers who, because one of the things that I've, you know, kind of read in terms of criticism of it is that some of the best grapplers don't want to do it with strikes. You know, they don't want to do the open well, hand slap. They just don't want to do it. You know, they'd rather just grapple. Well, sure. I mean, there's a lot. We could break down all the reasons why combat jujitsu is not working. Uh, all day, and I, I don't mind doing that. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> but I, I don't, at the I end don't, of the day, we just got to recognize it's not. You know, it's I don't, not what EBI is. It, it, well, it might not be what EBI is. I don't know if it's not working though. You, you know what I mean? Like, you don't, is, you don't think so? Is it picking up the same amount of steam? Steam? Is it getting the same amount of viewers? Is it like this? Is what I'm talking right. about? Like nobody's 
nobody's like in a, a rip roar frenzy about like the next combat EDI that's happening. Like, I don't, I don't know. Sure. I don't think, I don't think that's happening. I don't think it's so, so I just don't think it's the same. Maybe what it points to is not so much that combat jujitsu needs to go away, but maybe there's just a big opening in the market for something like EBI now. You see, yes, and there's yes. a lot of guys doing it though. There's a lot of guys, even in Tenth Planet, sure. that are running EBI like events all over the place. Yeah. But I don't but know if they're attracting the same. You know, does it have to be in the Orpheum? Does it have to be on the stage? Does it have to? Are there certain things that like? Do we need Bruce Buffer announcing it? Like, are those things that like made I mean, it feel a certain all, way? All those things were definitely big critical elements, and that's why it was building. You know, you had the first. I mean, their first show was just like any of the other little shows that are sure. adopting EBI rules. Just like in a random, it was. I, I forget where they call what, what it was called, but it wasn't like. It, what it was in the Orpheum. It was like uh, some nightclub or something like that. I actually got my cell phone stolen. Oh yeah. First. It was a yeah. something gardens, Florentine gardens. Yeah. Some, yeah something yeah, like that. exactly. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, even that first show was like very like amateurish in its own way. And it built to exactly what you're talking about. Having guys like Bruce Buffer announcing everything. Yeah. I just, I just wish that they were, they were pouring all their resources into that still. Like, I just don't know why I don't, again, I don't have a problem with combat jujitsu in the sense that it exists like fine like if people want to do it they want to do it um and i agree with you you know you have a tough time finding competitors or whatever but again it's just not relating to people on the same level that edi was relating to people so like let's stick with what we what we got that's good and go ahead pepper it in you know in between you want to do a total combat jujitsu event fine but like keep ebi consistent why why ruin a good thing why are you going to try to why are you going to try to fix something that's not broken yeah, interesting. I think I think Eddie, you know, I had the chance yesterday to to chat with Eddie, uh gave him a ride to the airport and we talked for about 45 minutes or so. And and kind of his take on it cuz I asked him about it because I I I kind of think the way you think about it honestly, you know. And and I love Eddie. Sure. He's awesome, but I yeah, also No, really, I I don't have any problem with him either. I like him too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and I just I loved EBI though, man. Like the whole experience yeah. of EBI I thought was pretty dope. But his his take is is this is that combat jujitsu is basically it is ebi with more realism sprinkled in he's like it's the same promoter producer graphics editor same staff it's just that uh, combat jujitsu it has everything ebi has but it also has open hand strikes Uh uh-huh that's essentially his take like it is ebi sure i under i understand that and i i i hear where you're coming from and everything like that. But then I just, again, draw back to the sentiment that everybody has, the amount of viewers, the amount of attention, uh, just the general level of success is not equal. So we could say that we could argue again. This is why what I'm saying, like we could argue about all the particulars of why this, why that. And he could say, Hey, you know, it's basically the same thing. We're just, it's a little bit more real. We could, we could talk about it all we want, but like the reality of the situation is EBI was, was something that was building a lot of steam, much more so than combat jujitsu. And uh, everybody, for the most part, wishes that it was back and wishes it was consistent. That's, yeah. I, and when you're running a show, I mean, I feel like that's what's important. It's not necessarily what you think, what you think as the promoter, but like what everybody else thinks. Yeah, that's right? definitely. Like, I mean, they're your there. customer. 
<laughs> I don't know. There's definitely I, an element to that. Do you do you think that there's any chance that another organization can kind of run with that format, or do you think that it's yes? Yeah, you you do. Yes, I do. I do. I absolutely do. I think that they had a they had a lot going for them. Eddie Bravo has a big name. Uh, he was able to he he worked with the UFC for many years and. He's able to pull a lot of strings. Uh, they have the, uh, a big promotional um, element, which is uh, Joe Rogan, because he's got connections to him. Um, so they were able to do a lot of things that a lot of these other organizations are, are going to have a tough time doing. But if you have the resources and you have some connections and you're able to do similar things, I think, I think of course, we could do that. You know, I don't see why not. Um, it's, not like, uh, it's not like it's just... You know, of course, like, again, Eddie's a very creative person. I think he brought a lot to the table, but I don't think that's like the only reason that Eddie, like the Eddie Bravo Invitational was successful was his name, right? Or him, you know, organizing the tournament or whatever. Uh, As far as why nobody's really quite filled that void, I would argue with you that they kind of have. Um, I mean, you've got a bunch of different tournaments kind of sprinkling up now, and maybe they don't all have EBI rules. Um, but you got Chell Sonnen's thing in Submission Underground, which does have some, an EBI element to it, despite using the cage. You have uh, Kasai grappling is big now. Um, so subversive, of course, subversive used it, right? Uh, Seth yeah, so you, you've got a bunch of these other guys trying to fill the gaps. I just don't think that they have exactly the same, they don't have the same pull that Eddie had in terms of, like, again, like, you got to, like, let's be, like, I don't think, Bruce Buffer was just announcing just, <laughs> just cause he was doing it. I think as a favor probably to Eddie. Right. Um, and Joe Rogan sitting in the front row probably again, cause they're friends. Right. Like, so I don't know who that person's going to be. That's going to have those connections that could create that same sort of thing and literally have exactly the same rules. Yeah. I, I don't know, but they, but you, it could be done. I just think that that's the, probably the reason why these other organizations aren't quite picking up the same amount of steam. They don't. There, there was some. There was definitely some pageantry to EBI. There was definitely something to going. God damn! Like sure. Joe Rogan's in the front row with Joey Diaz, and they're yeah. they're watching me grapple right now on this stage in yeah. this badass theater. And I agree with you. There's a video of me uh, strangling Stephen Martinez, and uh, I took both hooks out intentionally. And just look directly into Joe. Joe probably doesn't even know this, but I literally intentionally looked directly into Joe Rogan's eyes as I was strangling him out. Because and what were you trying to tell dude, him? Dude, like that was important to me. I'm like, hey, look what I'm doing, buddy. You know, <laughs> you know. Fuck so, you, Joe yeah, Rogan. Hundred percent, man. It was it was crazy. Like that's uh, it, it was a wild experience to have people like that in the in the audience and people like that attending and everything like that. So you, you know, the, I the, think that's a part of it. The, the one thing though that that I will say that when I was chatting with Eddie, one of the things he did mention was when it was EBI, like say at the Orpheum, it never sold out. With all the yes. fucking fans in Southern California, it never sold out. Yes. Yes. As a live event, uh, yeah. But I think like you have, I think in live events in general, you have a tough time getting, you know, people to show up for anything nowadays because of how powerful the internet is. Yeah. Right. Like it's hard to get people off their ass to go watch something these days, man. Yeah. It's real hard. I mean, the UFC struggles with it too. Um, I hear people all the time, oh, you know, oh man. Yeah. I know that, uh, actually even with one, like, I remember I was competing somewhere and they were like, Oh yeah, I'm just going to like, I don't feel like going out there. Like I'm just going to watch the TV screen anyway. You know, why bother? I'm just going to like, I'll just, I'll just watch my own television instead of like 
spending the time and money and everything that it takes to actually go there and see the show. Like ultimately when you go to see one of these shows, you're just doing it for a night out. Yeah. You it's can catch the exact same action on your computer. Even better. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. In some ways, in some ways better, right? Like, yeah. Uh, I've, I've watched UFC events live that were easier for me to watch because of where I was sitting. If I would have just been at a sports bar. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And I probably would have had more of my friends with me and everything like that. Right. So it's, uh, yeah, Yeah. it's, it's, it's tricky. So I I don't know if that's necessarily indicative because I think that despite that you might not have been selling out that arena or that venue, it was still a success in terms of viewership, more of a success in combat jujitsu in terms of viewership, which is more important to these organizations. I think nowadays anyway, I, I also felt like it was maybe the, our first glimpse and maybe this has happened before in the past in Brazil or with other, other events that I'm just not aware of, but I felt like in the no gi grappling world, we started to see the first formation of some like real team rivalry shit. You know, like yeah. modern American jujitsu, not sure. not you know uh, Carlos Gracie's new squad against his old squad, or or, yeah. or Carlson. I mean, you know, not that. Yeah, I'm talking like, hey, the these Danaher Death Squad guys are coming in from the East Coast and wrecking shop, right? And the the Tenth Planet guys are like, fuck this, they're beating us in our own home. You know, like you yeah. started to kind of see that build up, and as a spectator, yeah. there was a storyline, that a genuine storyline. Yeah, that was yeah, and I I think that might be something a little bit that might be missing from the the combat jujitsu too. Again, for maybe for the reasons that you were saying, like not being able to get everybody to do it because they don't want to do the slaps or whatever. But again, I mean, like, can you really blame him? Like, grappler's a grappler, dude. Like, (laughs) I mean, he doesn't train his whole life with like slapping people in the face. Like, should you? It's it's kind of a a big ask for him to do something that he hasn't been practicing his whole life in front of, on a stage in front of, you know, people. And then like, have that be on the internet forever. That dude getting TKO to be a slap when it's like something he's literally never done his entire life. Especially, especially if you end up going up against a guy like Chad George, who's a seasoned MMA huh? fighter, you, you know what sure. I mean? Who is slapping shit. Sure, to and him. that could happen. Yeah. That could happen, man. And you know, I'm not, I, I'm not in that camp. Like if it wasn't for the fact that, uh, you know, I signed with one, I would have, I would have done, I was actually signed to do, or not signed. Cause I don't think we ever signed a contract for EDI. I think we just kind of said, Hey, we're going to show up, but <laughs> we're coming. Um, but I was, I told, I told Eddie, I was going to do, uh, one of the first couple combat EDIs. I think, uh, Wagner was going to be in it or whatever. Um, and then I had signed the contract with one and I, I, then I couldn't do it. Right. So I was, I was game, you know, I would have yeah. done it, but I, but I understand why other people won't. You know, like that's not what you, that's not what you do every day. Yeah. Right. Like I get it. I get it. I get it. It's a pretty big ask, but, um, yeah, it, it, the it, team rivalry thing is what we kind of saw. Uh, I think, uh, what's it called that, uh, that Japanese promotion. Oh, with the Sakuraba's um, promotion, the quintet. Yeah. Yeah. Quintet was picking up a little bit of steam for a while because of, uh, of the team elements. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. I was out at one of those events when, uh, Gordon, uh, was on the team alpha male. Oh, that was really, that was fun, man. The super that was a team. Lot of fun. Yeah, that's right. Fucking your like favorite stalling calls too, man. I love the stalling calls. Like I, I liked them, but dude, I, the, uh, I felt like they were too liberal. I mean, they were just on it. Like, man, you couldn't even so, like scratch your ass. They're like, boom, boom, so, boom. So there was an instance where Gordon was like in the mounts, right. And he's getting stalling calls on him. And <laughs> you know, Gordon was obviously pissed, right. Cause he's dominating the guy. He's in the mount. But at the end of the day, like, what that's built in for is not for fairness in grappling. 
right? No, it's not for you as the competitor. That's there for the fucking viewer, man. Yeah. What's, what makes a, what makes a match exciting? What do you think? Action. Action, right? Movement. Something's yeah. got to be happening at all times, right? So you got a dude, he's in a dominant position, but he's just sitting in mount. Like, yeah, I understand. You earned that shit. I get it. You should be there. You should be able to take your time from an athlete perspective. That's what I want. I want to be able to, to slowly secure the submission, be careful and not do something stupid. That's going to make me fall off or whatever. But the viewer doesn't give a shit. <laughs> the yeah. viewer just wants to see you move, man. He wants to see something happen. So I almost, I like it in a way. Like I, I like the idea of over aggressive stalling calls, um, for viewers. I think that that makes it a, a exciting show. I like that idea. Now, I, you know, you could argue with me from a purist perspective in terms of like a competitor. And I would agree with you from a competitor perspective, but from a viewer perspective, I liked it. Yeah, de- definitely. It keeps, <laughs> it keeps things moving along and it kind of, um, it, it, it evens out some of the discrepancies, not totally like they have the different time, uh, differentials. So if, I think if there was like so many, uh, kilograms between your weight classes, then and it wouldn't be a full match. It was like three, you only had to go three minutes or, or, or something yeah. like that. Um, See, but, now that in that regard, I think they fucked up a little bit. That should have <laughs> been an elective choice because so when you do that, you eliminate the ability of the smaller person to potentially submit the right. bigger person if they need more time. Right. All they can so do like, is get if, a double if, DQ. Yeah. Yeah. If I, if I want to achieve the double DQ and I want that just the three minutes, then I, I get it. Then that should be my choice, but you shouldn't force the guy to do that. It should be an option. Yeah. Yeah. That was an interesting part of it. Uh, and, and I think you're right in terms of like the action calls, uh, when a big guy's on top of you, let's say he weighs more than you and he's chilling sure. and he's just being careful, it's a lot harder to deal with than if he's actually going for things and creating yes, openings. Yes. Yeah, now you can move, yes. you can get something off, you could try something yeah. versus, fuck, this guy's again, got 60 I, pounds on me, you know. Yeah, and again, I get that you're taking some of the reality about uh, of it, of the actual fight out of it by doing that, by forcing the action. But what do we do in fights, man? When somebody's pinned up against the cage for too long, we fucking stop it and bring them back to the center, yeah. don't we? Yeah, when we somebody's do. down on the ground and they're not doing anything, we stop it. We stand them back up, right? Yeah. For the same reason. Because we, at the end of the day, somebody's paying to watch this shit. If, you if know, you- we got to stop <laughs> thinking from an amateur perspective yeah. and we got to think from a pro perspective. Like, what can we do to make people want to buy, buy this? Well, and too, I think from from even the you know the purest perspective doesn't hold much water because if you really want to watch what two people fighting looks like, you could just get on YouTube and just watch people fucking fight <laughs> yeah. each other. That's what fighting yeah, really. People looks love like. to do that. Dude. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. There's a yeah. place for that for sure. That's that's what real fighting looks like, right? I mean, train sure, fighting sure. is not real fighting. It's actually different. So yeah, it's yeah. definitely very different. Yes, I agree. Yeah, you're absolutely. I agree. You're absolutely right about that. Um, Dude, what about this concept, man? I was at a tournament okay. recently. It wasn't a tournament, but it, it was called uh, Mat Wars, and it was like a Royal Rumble style where you had competitors. They got numbers 1 to 30, and the first two guys uh-huh. would get on the mat, and they'd start going. Uh-huh. And then in one minute, another guy would come in. Now, obviously, there's three guys, uh-huh. and you're not going to have any two-on-ones. Sure. The new guy would tag one of the active competitors, and then he would go uh-huh. against that guy. And the third guy would step out and rest. And another minute, another guy would come in. Now, you would have two-on-two sure. and so on and so forth until all 30 guys are in there, taps or taps. It's team based, sure. so there was a lot of strategy yeah. in terms of like who you're going to go yeah. against next. It made for a fantastic 
uh, viewing. It was really fun to watch because sure. there's so much action and strategy sure. and there's teams going against each other. Yeah. You ever seen anything like that? Yeah. The only thing, uh, the only issues I have with things like that are safety of the fighters. Um, cause you see stuff like this all the time in, uh, like Russia, they put together like MMA events where they'll put like six guys in the fucking cage oh, together yeah. and battle it out. Or like, actually, I think I saw one with like 10 guys on a ca- in a cage or something. It, it was insane. Um, but it's really, really hard to stop bad injuries from happening in those scenarios. Like, let me put, let me put it to you this way. We used to play, uh, play a game, um, where we would basically do that, um, uh, on like a day where, I don't know, we were going to have some fun in the, in the Academy or I do it a lot. I used to do it a lot at the Rutgers Jiu-Jitsu club. Cause it's just a bunch of like college kid animals and like, whatever, they don't care if they get hurt. Right. right so, right. <laughs> so they were like, uh, they would like get together in a group and like, they'd all try to submit each other. Right. And it's, it'd be like two teams, like, you know, six man, six on six and, you know, try to submit each other, blah, blah, blah. But dude, too many injuries started happening. I couldn't even play the game anymore. Like, you know, somebody wouldn't hear somebody tap or, you know, somebody, uh, yeah. somebody got like fucking stepped on or, you know, stupid shit that like doesn't get cut for some dumb reason. So from a fighter safety perspective, I worry a little bit about stuff like that. Maybe like, you know, I like, I, I like the idea from a promotional perspective, like it's obviously exciting, yeah. but maybe limit it to some degree, like 30 people in a ring. Like, how are you going to watch all of that and keep everybody safe? Well, well what happens, I, I do agree with you, but what happens is over the course of these competitors coming in, guys get tapped out. Some guys go in and their first sure. match, they, then sure. and you're out. You're done. You're gone. Yeah. So it, it yeah, the, yeah. the pack does kind of get, you know, weeded down. But what happens yeah. is like, let's say I'm going and I got a guy yeah. and, and you're rolling with your opponent and you tap your opponent. Now I'm like, fuck, Gary's available. If I tap my guy, I got to go with fucking Gary. So I'm going to coast it out yeah. with my guy. I'm like, fuck this. Sure. I'm going to like coast a little bit, you know? Oh, so you can't like, you can't like attack somebody while they're grappling somebody else. Absolutely not. No, 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 no. You, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The way you described it, it made it sound like everybody yeah. was like, kind of a free for no, all you no, no, somebody no. then you move on to the next no you would have to wait till ah. somebody became available for you to grapple against and that would either be at the next minute when a new guy comes in or oh, a round okay, change. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. all right so then that's a little bit more yeah, controlled a little more safe a little yeah. bit more controlled for sure yeah i didn't bring I'm up the part about, about a little bit of accidental injuries where people are running into each other and stuff but that could be that can be metered more so than like it's kind of guys simultaneously trying to arm bar somebody Oh or yeah. Somebody strangling oh, somebody while dude. somebody's going in for a heel hook, you know, like that's kind of what, what was oh, coming shit. to my mind when you said all that, that never works safe. That's always a bad idea, right? <laughs> always, yeah, always a bad idea. <laughs> Every time that yeah. game's ever been played, someone's gotten hurt. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So I had to stop doing that completely. Yeah. But yeah, that's no good. That's funny. Well, damn dude. But yeah. You- I like, I like ideas like that. So though, man, like I really think, um, one of the tricky things about our sport is like, there's so many fucking rule sets. It's insane. Um, and it's almost like nobody could really agree on like, what's the right thing. Right. Um, and that's part of the reason that it keeps us, that, that holds us back in certain ways, but it also gives us a lot of uh, creative freedom. I yeah. kind of like it in a little bit, in a little bit yeah. of a sense that you can kind of do that and tinker around and try to make things exciting. I think people should do that more. Um, see what's going to work to, I, uh, to get people to want to watch, man. I do, I do too. I just, 
I don't know if, you know, I know there was a big push, like, hey, we want to get jujitsu in the Olympics. And one of the yeah. big, one of the big beefs is like, there's not a real unified rule set, you know, like, of yeah. course, there's the IBJJF with the gi is pretty standard. But yep. outside of that, man, it, it gets all crazy. And there's yep. good and bad that comes it. from that. Like, look at judo, uh, Olympic judo. There's a lot of judo purists, (laughs) going back to purists, but they don't like Olympic judo because it's so restricted. The rule set's so refined. I would hate for that to happen to jiu-jitsu. That would suck. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that kind of, again, that's why I see pluses and minuses to it. I don't really know. Yeah. I don't know if I really want it to be that way either. Um Cause I think it, I think different rule sets really favor different individuals and it's kind of, uh, it's kind of cool to see, you know, one person shine somewhere and then shine somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and, and grappling so. might be the one thing where you can watch guys in a gi out of a gi in this rule set and that rule set and different guys will dominate based on the rule sets. You'll never see like a pro baseball player go, Hey, I'm going to play professional softball in the off season, or I'm going to go play (laughs) racquetball. It's a ball sport. You hit it. Like it's, there's nothing else where it transfers over football players. Don't go play flag football. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't happen, man. Yeah. That's what's pretty awesome. Even Shell's been making a case recently on his podcast. And this is so, this is much less significant, but still like, uh, talking about like how they do three and five rounds in MMA, like five rounds for a title fight. And he's like, dude, like that literally happens in no other sports. It's like, like, sure. You might do a series, but like nobody, nobody, like they don't like change the length of a baseball game because it's the world series, right? Right. Like it's still the same game. (laughs) Right. And now you're going to take a guy that's used to fighting for 15 minutes, his whole fucking career. And now all of a sudden he's got to fight for 25 minutes. Like what? It is. Why are we doing this again? That's got to be tied to money. Completely different. That's got to be tied to promotional money, screen time, something, right? It kind of, it kind of is right. But I mean, I don't, I don't know, man. I, uh, well, I kind of get where he's coming from, from a fighter safety standpoint too. I mean, look at what just happened in boxing with the guy that just died. I know yeah. it's rare, but that's a long time to get punched in the head, man. And honestly, I watched most of the fight. I don't watch the whole thing in its entirety, but I watched a lot of the fight and that guy wasn't doing that bad. Yeah. He got hit a lot, but like he was hitting the other guy. He was moving. Like even when he was getting hit, you know, one thing that you often see is like one guy will just get hit, 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 and doesn't return any fire. Right. No, he was, he was getting hit. Then he would return fire. Like it seemed pretty competitive from what I heard. He was actually winning on the judge's scorecard when, uh, he pulled out of the fight. Wow. Right. So, so yeah, it, like <laughs> it wasn't the kind so, of fight I mean, where watching it, you're like, this guy's going to be hospitalized when this is over. Exactly. You just thought, nah, I didn't just see that at months. all. Yeah. I didn't see that at all. Now he's had a long career. I looked, I looked up a lot of information about him because it's always uh, an important thing. I think to analyze when terrible things like this happen, like why, or, you know, at least try to make some sense of it. Right. He had a crazy long amateur career. I don't know if it's usual, but he's been fighting, I think since he was uh, 10, uh, he fought like 300 amateur fights. Damn. And I don't think that's uh, common for boxing. I could be wrong. Yeah. But, uh, you're talking I know about in, in uh, Muay Thai. They do that, but Maxim, Maxim, uh, Dadashev. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, yes. but yeah, yes. he had, wow. I looked up his, his record. He has like 300 amateur fights. Like, God damn. So that's a long career, man. Yeah. To be fighting that much. So I'm thinking like, I'm thinking like, man, that was cumulative damage over years and years and years, but still probably, you know, the extra, I think it's hard to make a case again, that the extra rounds help. 
make it safe. Well, I don't, I don't <laughs> think it helps make it safe, but I think what it can do is make fights appear to be more decisive. So uh, if there is a decision, a lot of times in a five-round fight, it's an easier decision uh, to kind of make sure. than in a three-round fight where you're like, damn, yeah, it almost feels I, like I a... I can see that. You know what I mean? Like I can it widens see that. The gap you're fighting little... longer. It's a little bit more obvious. Like, sure. you know, maybe, maybe it's a little bit back and forth in the three rounds and a guy starts to wane in the third but he was real strong in the first two. Yeah. So, you know, that guy wins and everybody's like, oh man, that guy was on his way out. Right. Yeah. 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 I could totally see that. I could totally see that. And, and I guess for, be a happy medium somewhere a, for a championship fight, you know, they want those decisive. There's nothing worse than like a split decision or a draw for a title. Yeah. Fight. You, you know what I, I mean? mean? I guess, but at the same time, at the same time, when you think about it, like sometimes that, I wouldn't say sometimes. I say most of the times. Doesn't that just like end up promoting the best, the next fight? <laughs> so rematch. You're like, genius, isn't Gary. Actually, yeah. <laughs> isn't that actually better for the organization for it to be indecisive? Then it's like, oh man, we don't even have to have two different people fight. We could literally get the same marketing campaign for these same two guys, and everybody wants to watch it again. Damn it! You know what? What you need to do is come up with a grappling rule set where there's rarely a clear, decisive winner. And you just got to keep running them back out again. Imagine. Did Gordon imagine. really win? I don't know. I can't oh, tell. Man. That's, man. One of the, that's one of the worst, part, worst things in my career, like in terms of like, just like circumstantial things was like when I fought Paul Harris, uh-huh. uh, Polaris still had rules where if you didn't submit the guy, it was just a draw. So like, dude, like we all know I beat Paul Harris. Like yeah. we all know. Like when you watch the match, it's yeah. obvious, but still, according to the fucking, you know, in the record book, it's a draw, Damn. right? And, uh, that fucking sucks, man. Was there, um, was I there, think, you know, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, was there any part of you going into that fight against him where you're like, fuck dude, this guy's a monster. Like any fear you mean, at all? Like literally every day. Yeah. I would like, be fucking scared, dude. It was terrifying, man. Yeah. A hundred percent. I don't know, man. It was just the ultimate opportunity, in my opinion, to kind of prove that like what we were doing was legit. Yeah, and you, you proved know? it. Like so many people were doubting us, and oh, it's all the whole leg box thing is fucking bullshit, and this, that, and the other thing. Like, you're whatever you guys are doing isn't any more important than whatever else everybody else is doing. It's like, all right, give me the biggest fucking baddest leg locker not just leg locker but just like submission artist and right. like that dude hurts people with submissions he doesn't just submit people he breaks people. he was kicked out and, of the uh, ufc like yeah this is the fucking guy you're so gonna grapple the baddest dude that knows how to leg lock and let's see what happens you know? not so letting go I of think, submissions <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah it was terrifying man but I, I it was too big of an opportunity for me to pass up man and you know the whole credo that i've been following my whole life in jujitsu is you know if i have good enough technique i should be able to beat the bigger guy right and i mean i think that was the the quintessential match to prove that right yeah absolutely it, it, it's 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 it was a lot of fun to watch i always i always enjoy watching you and i know i've texted you this before but i felt like your performance at adcc was fucking beautiful man i loved your your match Thanks. against wagner rocha regardless of what the <laughs> score was it was fucking dope yeah, yeah. dude it's like god it was damn. funny entertaining so i don't think i've ever told anybody this on an interview before but so uh, I had, you know, we had a, a serious camp for ADCC, um, and one of the biggest, uh, issues with our team overall, uh, had just been, especially prior to that point, um, just point scoring in general, right? Like, even if we were really, really dominant in terms of attacking the opponent with submissions, like the way ADCC scoring works doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be the guy that's on the podium, right? Sure. 
so we, we spend a lot of our camp, you know, worrying about, uh, positional dominance and, and, uh, you know, paying close attention to the scoreboard and this, that, and the other thing. And, um, so I was playing a lot of my matches in that ADCC, like more conservative because that's, I was trying to be cognizant of the, of the rules and the point scoring and everything like that. And when I got done with my, when I lost to JT via zero to zero decision, um, because again, like, I'm not saying this is the reason I lost or anything. Who knows if I would have like attacked submissions, maybe I would have just lost by points or something. But when I, that was the second time I've lost to JT zero, zero decision. And, uh, I was just like, I came up back up to John and, uh, Tom, I was just like, Hey, listen guys, I was like, I want to let you guys know that, uh, I'm going to compete in my next match and I may lose like 500 zero. Uh, but I don't give a fuck. Like I'm going to go out there and I'm going to like, I'm going to do like Gary Tonin. Like I'm going to do my jujitsu. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to go out there and try to pay attention to the rule. I don't care. Like, I'm just going to try to submit this guy whatever way I can. And, uh, man, I had more fun in that match than like, like any other match I've ever competed in. Probably, uh, you know, I was doing all the Granby rolls and just having the time of my life out there, man. And like you said, you know, I, I I almost won too. Like last, like last, like 30 seconds, I had a one hook in on the back and was like ready to turn him over. He's like, I was like, uh, using a power half on his neck and he's like, I could hear him like gurgling from the chin, like touching his chest. He didn't want to turn over it. Cause I would have got the other hook in. Um, so it was really, that was a nail biter towards the end anyway, even though I was like having a, having a good time. So, um, yeah, I really liked that match too. Yeah. It, it, it was, it was a very outstanding match. I know you've had a lot of big matches where you, you know, you win and it's like, yeah, but that was a, a really fun match to watch, dude. It was a sure. good display of just like all around grappling on your feet, on the ground, attacks, escapes, like everything was there. So that was thanks, man. That's one of my favorite matches. And I, I got to have my day afterwards anyway. I think uh, there was an EDI pretty shortly after that where I inverted heel hooked him in like two minutes. So. <laughs> exactly. All's well. <laughs> I got my. I got mine. You got to run back. Yeah. Hey, Gary, man. It's kind of funny. Me. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead, man. Oh, I was just going to say, it's kind of funny. Me and him had a little bit of a history because like when I was first coming up in ADCC, the way that I got in, uh, was I won one of the trials. Um, and I competed against, uh, sorry, I competed against Wagner in the finals. And when I competed against Wagner, um, I was, I took his back off of a Kimura attempt. Like he, he went for a Kimura on me and then I took his back okay. and I had like a figure four body lock attacking his neck the whole time. He's like peeling my fingers off and shit. And they, they, I'm like getting close to a deep rear naked. And it was like the 87th time he peeled my fingers off like one by one. So, so they like yell at him and they, they like reset the match. But like, of course, anytime you reset, you're never going to be like quite where you were before. Right. So he slips out of the back, uh, control after they say go and he gets into an inverted heel hook from 50 50 and like back then literally knew nothing about leg locks. So he just, he just fucking ripped it. Damn. And I just, it was like 30 seconds ago and I'm just like, Nope, I'm going to ADCC buddy. Damn. <laughs> so I just like looked at him while he's cranking on my leg and, you know, so he, he got me that day, but, uh, I've got him back since, but it was, we had a history for sure. So I've had a lot of fun times rolling with him. He's super tough, man. Super tough. Oh, but people don't uh, give him enough credit. I don't think. Oh, Wagner, he's one of my favorite guys to watch. He's fucking tough. I was just talking earlier in the show about Wagner kicking AJ off of the stage at Fight to Win. We, <laughs> we had them both on the show before you this mean happened. the greatest moment in competitive grappling Dude. of all time? Is that what you're referring to? We, we interviewed Wagner, and then we pulled this bit yeah. where we had AJ call in during the interview. And we're like, oh, hey, Wagner, uh-huh. we got AJ. And then AJ wrote, read this poem 
right? Like this, you know, AJ is going to be okay. AJ, right? Wagner basically sure. got pissed and was like, we'll see what's up. And then, then that night, That's that funny. Friday night or whenever he fucking kicked him off of the stage. It is amazing. So funny, dude. dude. So funny. Wagner's uh he's a great competitor, man. Hey, dude, sure. uh, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us on a Sunday, man. I really enjoy talking no to you. Problem. And, uh, I, I, you know, it's hard, man, because I'm a big 10th planet guy. Obviously I run 10th planet Stockton. I love Eddie, but I fucking do miss EBI. I know exactly what you're talking about, man. There's a certain yeah. nostalgia in my heart now where I'm like, God sure. damn, I want to watch EBI on a Sunday. Fuck. Yeah, man. Feel you, man. Dude, listen, keep again, like summary, fuck, like keep, combat jiu-jitsu it's fine like i don't i'm not like on a vendetta to try to ruin that dream man like <laughs> you know who knows maybe one day it could build up to be something great i'm just saying like man we to to we've sacrificed so much in that pursuit like i just think we there's no reason to sacrifice this thing that we already built up to be so amazing um so like you know put ebi back and keep doing the combat jiu-jitsu thing i don't know man i don't know what it's going to take but you know i hope it comes back I'll get on the phone. I'll call Halleck. We'll get it. We'll get it sorted yeah, out. Yeah, man. I'm sure that'll fix it. <laughs> hey, Gary. Thanks a lot, man. Have a great Sunday. Yeah. Have a good one, man. All right, brother. Bye-bye. Bye. Always appreciate talking to Gary Tonin. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with uh, some more uh, Tracy Police Log. Oh, welcome back to the podcast. I don't have a commercial to play. Yay. So I want to get through this uh, police log. Uh, great time talking to Gary Tonin. I read the police log because uh, this is a, these are reasons why you need to train jujitsu. All right. This is why you should sign up at a gym. You should get your friends to sign up. You should get your wife in self-defense. You should get your kids training. You should get your, your girls training. Everybody. All right. I'm going to just... Briefly go through the Tracy, California. It's an amazing town. It's like it's stuck in a time capsule, but it's right by the Bay Area. There's just, it's a, it is a vortex of fucking weirdness, man. Let's jump into it. 2.34 a.m., a man at Quality Inn on North Tracy Boulevard reported a man and a woman banging and kicking his door. The man said the two had called his room twice and were trying to break in. He insisted that he did not know the two people. What they called ahead. We're call ahead thieves. We want to make it convenient for you. Uh, ma'am, hey, listen, I know I woke you up at 2 in the morning, but uh, we're going to be over there around 2.30, 2.34, 2.35, somewhere around there. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to be beating on the door. I, I just don't want to startle you, so maybe get up, throw a pot on. Um, you know, maybe can you make me a sandwich? I, I don't want Velveeta. I want the good cheese. You know, I, I want the fucking, I want something from Wisconsin, something that's aged. 4.15 a.m., a woman on the 20th block of West Lowell Avenue reported receiving a call from someone who might be a co-worker of hers. Not sure. Might be. He said he was going to kill her husband. What the fuck? <laughs> you don't know? Was that a co-worker? Was it not? Not sure. They, they said, who, who was that, honey? Who just called? Oh, I think it was my coworker. Who? Well, I'm not sure. Well, what did they say? Go back to sleep. They said said it was going to kill you. Go to bed. 6.41 a.m., a woman on the 100 block of Roosevelt Avenue reported five dogs, five dogs barking at a house across the street. Not only was she upset with the noise, she said three dogs is the city limit for one resident to own. Okay. 
If you had three dogs barking, okay, but you have five and I'm fucking pissed. Okay, it's clearly stated three, not five. How does this lady know there's five dogs there? She count them. This is the last time those goddamn Pekingese bark. It's 641 in the morning. 738. A caller on East and 11th Street reported a hit and run accident that left her father's neck injured. The car was a Honda Civic that should now have major hood damage, the caller said. Oh, shit. (laughs) Did it kill your dad? Because that sounds like it killed your dad. It doesn't sound like your father's neck was injured. Is he going to be like neck brace guy? Neck brace guy is scary. And then the level up from neck brace guy is neck brace guy with the fucking thing around his head at the top and the rods. The weather rods, fucking, you can't even go out in a lightning storm in that shit, man. You got to be grounded 24-7 when you go outside. The car should have major hood damage. That's fantastic. 844, a caller reported a car lock punched out and a CD case stolen last week in the Target parking lot. Okay, 1995 called. It wants its CD case back. Like you deserve to get your CD stolen if you're going around with a CD case in your car. Holy shit. 11.56 a.m. Someone at Loriana and Schulte Road reported seeing a man carrying a four-month-old baby with no diaper. What? <laughs> like, how do you know the baby's only four months old? That's what I want to know first. Like, how do you know that? No diaper. Well, did you offer to lend him a hand? Do you think he really wanted to carry this baby with no diaper? Do you know what four-month-olds do? No fucking warning, man. They piss and shit. The the wind can blow, and they're going to fucking go. Nobody wants to carry a baby with no diaper. You should have helped them. 3.14 p.m., a caller on the 200 block of Silkwood Lane, classy, reported that she didn't receive a $2,000 diamond ring she bought off eBay. Oh my God. I don't, there's so many things. First, I don't know anyone who even buys anything on eBay anymore at all. I didn't even know eBay. I thought Amazon like just got rid of eBay. Like eBay's gone. Is anybody, I don't shop on eBay. I, I haven't, I haven't shopped on eBay in a decade. I haven't even thought of eBay for a decade. A $2,000 diamond ring? You're going to buy that on eBay? You can't even go to Amazon to get that? You can't go to like a real online jeweler like Tiffany and Company or somewhere? Nah, I'm going to buy it from a private seller on eBay. I trust them. They got good reviews. What happens if you don't get it? I'm going to call the Tracy cops. Okay, we'll get Barney Fife on that. Six... 3 p.m. Someone on Schulte Road again and Sycamore Drive reported a man passed out in an alley. When police arrived, the man said he was taking a nap. <laughs> An employee at Me Ranchito on North Central Avenue reported a man threatening to rob the store. He then threw candy at him on his way out. I'm going to rob you. Yeah, just throw this Rocky Road at you instead. Someone on the 200 block of East 12th Street reported teenagers smoking drugs inside a car. And that is the winner. Yay, good job. 
smoking drugs inside a car. Holy shit. They're cooking drugs. I know it. Hey, uh, thank you guys for listening. It's been a great show. Super appreciate everybody. Please check us out. Go to the uh, Inside BJJ on Instagram. You can check us out at uh, Inside BJJ Academy. If you're in Stockton, 10th Planet Stockton, hit us up. We love you. Do it. InsideBJJ.com. Follow us on Instagram at InsideBJJ, Twitter at InsideBJJ, Facebook.com slash InsideBJJ Podcast.